0: Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 86 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. Thank you for giving me some of your time today, and I hope this episode finds you well. Today, we're discussing phrases associated with love since Valentine's Day is just three days after this episode drops. I have no ado for today, so let's get infatuated with today's phrases, origins, history, and more. Most people have had a crush at least once in their life. A crush is defined as a brief but intense infatuation for someone. This saying is considered to be American in origin, and showed up in the vernacular in the late 19th century. Well, the word is older than that, but it had a different meaning before then. In the late 14th century, the old French verb crossier, which meant to break or crack something loudly, became the English word crush. Eventually, the loud part of this particular definition became crash, and crush simply meant to break something. Nearly 500 years later, crush was being used to describe social gatherings like dances. We find it in use this way by 1832, when it was used in a letter written by British historian Thomas Macaulay. He wrote, I fell in with her at Lady Grey's Great Crush. End quote. It made its way to America within three decades, as we find it here in the States in 1862. It was used in an August edition of the Southern Literary Messenger, a periodical published in Richmond, Virginia. It read, quote, In the hat room at a crush, is the air freer from taint because the men are fresh and young? End quote. By eighteen eighty four the romantic meaning was in use, which we know because we find it that year written in the journal of American teacher and writer Isabella Rittenhouse. She wrote, quote, "Wenty is weeping because her crush is gone." End quote. In eighteen ninety five an American lawyer named john Wood wrote Yale Yarns, Sketches of Life at Yale University. In it, he included, quote, Miss Palfrey consented to wear his bunch of blue violets. It was a crush, you see, on both sides. End quote. One more thing to consider, in the late 19th century, the word mash was being used to say flirt or to be in love. And since crush can mean to mash, some people think this connection is what led to crush being used romantically. Now, let's have some company. The saying, two is company, but three is a crowd, means that a couple can't have any privacy if a third person is with them. This one has been around a while. I found one source that said it was already a proverb by 1546. However, I couldn't find that backed up by any secondary sources. I did find multiple sources saying that the first known use in writing was in a book written by a man we've heard from several times before. English naturalist John Ray. In his book of English Proverbs he published in 1678, he included, quote, One's too few, three too many. End quote. Now, this isn't the exact saying, but it's important for two reasons. It has the same idea of two being the ideal number of people, and secondly, since it was in his book of Proverbs, it had to be in use prior to this. The Oxford Dictionary of Word Origins seems to think the saying isn't that old, though, as it states the saying wasn't used until the early 18th century. It lists a usage from 1726 as the first, which was in the Spanish and English Dictionary written by John Stevens, the English captain, Hispanist, and translator, who we've discussed before. While he's translated a lot of things, he's most famous for being the guy who translated Don Quixote into English. Anyway, I took French in high school and barely remember any of that, so my apologies in advance for this attempt at Spanish. Here's the proverb, the translation, and the explanation that he put in the dictionary. Quote, Proverb, campaña de tres novalres. A company consisting of three is worth nothing. It is the Spanish opinion who say that to keep a secret three are too many, and to be merry they are too few. End quote. Since this was listed as a proverb, this supports that the saying is older than the time the dictionary was printed in 1726. There have been many other versions of this saying in several languages, all seeming to imply that two is the perfect number. And with that, let's split the bill. If you're dining with someone, the server might ask you if you'll be paying on one check or multiple checks. If you opt for more than one check, then you're going Dutch. One theory suggests that this splitting of the bill gets its name from a Dutch door, which is the type of door that is split in the middle, which allows you to open the top and bottom separately if you need to. Another is a bit more violent, positing that the saying comes from the fact that the English and Dutch didn't get along in old-timey times. Specifically, in the 17th century, as the Oxford English Dictionary says this about English and Dutch relations: quote, An opprobrious or derisive application, largely due to the rivalry and enmity between the English and Dutch in the 17th century. End quote. This is referring to the English and Dutch competing to have the strongest navy, which led to wars that were mostly conducted on the seas. Now, some people say that this phrase has to do with gambling, and others think it comes from double Dutch jump roping. In other words, no one seems to know for sure where it came from. Most likely, although this is just my opinion, it came from the animosity between the English and the Dutch. The reason I lean towards this being the true origin is that after the 17th century and the naval battles, the English used the word Dutch to mean many negative things, such as cheap, deceptive, alcoholic, selfish, and more. Then, once Dutch immigrants began settling into Pennsylvania in the 17th and 18th century, they became known as the Pennsylvania Dutch they had a reputation for never being in debt, so much so that they wouldn't even let someone buy them a meal, and would always pay for it themselves. We know that this lent itself to the saying by the late 19th century because we find a similar phrase in the Daily Democrat, a daily newspaper from Woodland and Yolo County, California. In an article from June 27, 1873, we find, quote, if our temperance friends could institute what is called the Dutch treat into our saloons, each man paying his reckoning, it would be a long step towards reforming in drinking to excess. End quote. So, from naval battles to splitting the tab in a bar, people have been going Dutch for quite a long time. Now I have a couple of turn of tidbits for you. The first tidbit is better half. Originally, this saying was used to refer to a close friend rather than a romantic partner. The Roman poet Horace used it in this way, and he lived from 65 to 8 BC, so it's been around since way back in old-timey times. The first known use in print the way we use it today is found in 1580 in the Countess of Pembroke's Arcadia, which was written by Sir Philip Sidney, an English poet, scholar, and soldier. He wrote, quote, My dear, my better half, said he, I find I must now leave thee. End quote. The next tidbit comes from Moxie over at the Your Brain on Facts podcast. Her show is one I look forward to every week, and if you don't listen, you should check it out. She brought up the saying to warm the cockles of someone's heart and asked what part of the heart the cockle was. First of all, this saying means to make someone happy, or to give them a deep feeling of contentment. The cockle is the ventricles, and it's believed that this comes from the similarity in shape between the ventricles of the heart and the cockle snail, a type of bivalve mollusk. This idiom has been in use since at least the 17th century, and was originally said as rejoice the cockles of one's heart. Another theory comes from medieval Latin, in which the ventricles were called Cochlea Cordis, and cochleae may have been misunderstood as cockle. Whether they're named for a snail or a bad translation, either way, the ventricles are the part of your heart being warmed. Thanks for the suggestion, Moxie. Now it's time for today's Familiar Quotation. Toppers, today's Familiar Quotation is from Dr. Seuss. Here's what he had to say about love. Quote, You know you're in love when you can't fall asleep because reality is finally better than your dreams. End quote. Thank you, Dr. Seuss, for giving us today's Familiar Quotation. All right, toppers, it's time for today's For Better or For Words, love advice from old-timey times. Remember that this advice is over a 100 years old, and I'm sharing it for entertainment purposes only. Now, let's hear from the ladies first. Don't forget to wish your husband good morning when he sets off to the office. He will feel the lack of your goodbye kiss all day. And now for the men? Don't think that because you can't afford to buy an expensive present, it is best to take no notice at all. The smallest gift will be appreciated if prompted by love. All right, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 86. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. Check out my website, turnofphrases.com, to find out information about the show's social media, for details about the music I use in the show, and much more. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast. Researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, thanks for being this podcast's better half. Toodaloo. And now... Yes, yes. Let me rephrase. A crush is defined as a brief but intense fat... fat, fat. <laughs> In the late 14th century, the old French verb croissart... Croissaire. croissaire, 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 croissaire. Crozier. Crozier? Mmm. Crozier. Crozier. I fell in with her at late grade. (laughs) Nope. Because the men are. Nope, nope. I read that wrong. In 1895, an American lawyer wrote. Did I leave out his name? Oops. Quote. Oh, good grief. What is that word? Approbious opprobrious apoprious largely due to their rivalry and inmi- i know how to say enmity it. it's okay largely due to their rivalry rivalry <laughs> largely due to their their <laughs> ah, ah. okay largely due to their rivalry and in- in <laughs> I know how to say this word. What's wrong with you mouth? Largely due to their rivalry and <laughs> uh, today is a day that I apparently can't English. I'm going to have a lot of fun editing all that together so that it makes a proper sentence. Wow. Now, some people thank you, Kelly. <laughs> Whether they're named for... as. no, 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 no.